and welcome to Suds, the weekly podcast which wraps up the great guests we've been speaking to on Startup Daily TV on AusBiz. I'm Simon Thompson, editor of StartupDaily.net, and right beside me is... Elliot Hasty, uh, the producer alongside Simon. And, you know, Simon, I've had to take a break from watching the Miami Bitcoin conference because that has consumed me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is Don Johnson there by any chance? Oh, absolutely not. I think he's a, he's been a bit busy. <laughs> <laughs> now, Elliot, what a wild old week. And I'm not just talking about the weather here in Sydney. Uh, I got a little bit bored with sunshine. I'm so glad it's grey and raining. Three days. We asked for too much. We, we really did throughout the state. <laughs> but speaking of rain, fast. What a wild ride that has been for the expat Australian CEO, Dom Holland, who announced this week he's shutting it down, having burnt through 120 million US dollars worth of investment capital. I honestly can't even fathom burning through that, particularly, you know, all these facts have now come out, particularly like around their revenue, around what they were doing, his flashy marketing. Like, it's kind of an insane story. What was it? A million dollars for the chain smokers. It, it kind of sounds a little bit like the whole WeWork experience, mm. you know, how that was all crazy and there was private jets. And all Maybe that. he's going to sell his story to Netflix and, or, oh no, it's Apple TV doing the, the WeWork one. He'll he'll sell his story and, and make a dime there. We were joking the other day that we, we just need to find where the murder is, but I reckon Underbelly Startups would be the next series Channel 9's looking at. There is a startup series on Netflix, which I'm still yet to start, but going back to, to Dom, it it is a fascinating story um, because, of course, it did attract so much buzz and now it's shutting, shutting this week. It's, it's gone. It's Yeah, absolutely. You know, everyone was told and the jobs are gone and everything. But this has just been a wild ride with Stripe backing this business. There are a lot of questions and the information led the way on that, of course, first pointing out that their revenue was around about $600,000 last year. So $50,000 a month and they're cash burn rate was around about 10 million. And there's a really interesting Twitter thread um, by by Jack Raines who sort of looked at a decade of of the CEO and apparently he, you know, the the people he had building the prototype, he just shut them out completely. Um, he's tried to, you know, sell data before. Just there's a lot of missing pieces. It's an interesting backstory all the way back to an old uh, domain site called quant.ass that uh, was uh, <laughs> available many years ago. And uh, I think this will be a really interesting story. There's a lot to explore on this one. Meanwhile, um, a bunch of investors are down sort of $160 million in Australian dollars um, from this adventure over the last two and a bit years. Uh, exactly. And it's not even like it's, you know, you, when you do have the likes of Stripe, it's Kind of embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it happens to the best of them. Um, but, mate, when you're the world's richest man, you can buy whatever you want, including a large stake in Twitter. 9.2%. Like, that is, what, $3 billion. Apparently that's from his own net wealth. Um, wow. Controlling stake. It's more than... Uh, Jack Dorsey, isn't it? I, but, you know, how much did you laugh when uh, Twitter CEO um, Parag Agrawal tweeted, retweeted Musk's poll saying, please vote carefully, the consequences of this poll will be important. This was around sort of do we have an edit button on Twitter or not, a debate that's been going on for yonks. Of course, uh, already uh, Musk was arcing up over the idea of free speech and threatening to start his own social media platform. This is going to be a really interesting arm wrestle, don't you think? I absolutely do. I mean, already Twitter, of course, has said, you know, we've been working on this. This isn't to do with Musk. We've been doing it. We've been sorting it out. I 
I don't know. I don't know what I think. Like, you know, because Musk is such a decisive guy and you can't deny his presence on Twitter and the sort of legion of crowds and I, I would call them blind followers that just listen to what he does. The muscalites. The is that what they're called? I don't know. I just made that up. But, you know, <laughs> I, I it sounds, like sounds it. about right, doesn't it? I mean, you know, this is America and its free speech thing is always an interesting debate, you know, and, of course, Twitter banned Donald Trump. There's already a push for him to come back on. And, you know, Musk at one stage compared Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to Adolf Hitler on Twitter. On Twitter. Twi- uh, <laughs> You're making <laughs> your own Hitler social Twitter. media, are yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. For far-right groups, we can have Twitter. Well, it's one of those things, like, you've got freedom of speech. You don't have the freedom to be a dickhead. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, pointing that out can be really interesting. But, yeah, we'll see where this one goes with great interest. Mate, let's get away from the BSDs, uh, the blokes, and you can figure out what that acronym means in a minute. We had some amazing women on the show this week, and I want to start with Lauren Fong from Icehouse Ventures, the New Zealand VC, which at the moment is raising its second fund to back women-led startups. They've got five mil towards a 20 million New Zealand dollar target. Um, you know, it's the, they're already sort of the largest fund investing exclusively in female-founded and led ventures in uh, the land of the long white cloud. Um, but it was great to have on her on the show hear about their ambitions. And, she, and they are ambitious, you know, they want the 20 mil, they are backing heaps of different startups across, you know, they've got accounting, they've got crypto, um, online marketplaces, astronautics, I did have to look up that word, I assumed it was for space and, you know, um, it's, it's an incredibly diverse range of what they're doing um, and it's amazing. It's all coming out of New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. And they did a first fund uh, not that long ago, just uh, less than two years ago. Uh, they set out for a $2 million target, got $2.8 million. They backed 21 companies, uh, 31 companies. So they're not mucking around and they're really making the money spread. I think they were talking about 50 plus out of the new fund. But I did start this conversation by asking her about something that Matt Keane, the New South Wales treasurer, brought up in a speech this week because New South Wales is now looking at perhaps mimicking what LaunchVic and the Victorian government have done with the Alice Anderson Fund backing female founders. The idea is there's going to be a $10 million bucket of money in New South Wales. In Keane's speech, she sort of pointed out that the average globally is around 2 to 3% of VC funding goes to uh, female-led companies. New South Wales is slightly better because it's at 5%, but that still means the blokes are getting 95% of the money. I asked uh, Lauren about what it's like in New Zealand and how it's going over there. She says it's got a long way to go, but here's what else she said. There's a long way to go here in New Zealand as well. Uh, The latest stats I have is that in 2018, 18% of venture capital funding went to women. So we're not as bad as some of those global numbers. However, there's a lot more work that could be done. And the reason why this gap exists, well, there's various factors, but one of them is unconscious bias. So studies were done overseas showing that unconscious bias exists when women are pitching for investment. So they were asked very uh, prevention and negative questions, which uh, basically prevented them from getting funding, such as how will you prevent your business from failing versus looking at the male co-founders who were asked very positive and promotional questions such as what does growth look like in 10 years time? And so this really 
was a huge challenge and uh, provided um, basically a hurdle for them to access capital and complete a capital raise. So 19% wow. is not a bad number. Okay, the data is a couple of years old, but uh, well done, New Zealand. It's always been progressive on so many levels uh, in terms of female prime ministers and a whole bunch of stuff. But, uh, yeah. Because even if that is a couple of years ago, you would presume particularly with the funds like the Archangel Fund, it's progressing it further. So 19% is sort of their base level and here we are fighting to push 5% higher. So it really is quite quite incredible what they've been able to do, particularly, you know, you spoke to her about the first fund and, you know, what they were able to accomplish with that. Yes, so the first Archangels Fund invested into 31 companies. The goal was $2 million and we got that to $2.8 So that was really exciting. Um, this fund is still in its early stages and we're really excited about how these companies are performing. So Fia from Asterix Astronautics, um, you know, she's about to um, launch uh, next month soon. Um, Henry's a great example. They just did a great capital raise, um, Archipro. So the fund has invested in a range of industries and sectors and now we're, you know, staying with them on their journeys and we're really excited to see where they're going to end up in a few years time. So as you mentioned, Henry of course has been a regular on this show. They expanded across the ditch much like Zero uh, many years ago uh, and they're now performing quite strongly here. Um, so they're a quarter of the way through their project. I then asked, uh, well, who do they want money from? Because, of course, they've got some pretty good investors. Vend co-founder Mel Roswell's in there. So Stephen Tyndall's K1 K1W1, you have to see that written down to see how clever it is, is also backing them. Um, it seems like they're willing to take anyone's cash here. They're non-gender specific if you've got uh, a sophisticated investor status. We will take investment from anyone. Um, we already have Australian investors um, and a family office uh, in this second fund already, um, in addition to the first. And so definitely if you're listening and you're an Australian investor and you want to get involved, then please get in touch. But I'm really excited to talk to any investor out there that wants to support Kiwi Women. It's a fantastic mission-driven fund and, um, yeah, I wouldn't hesitate. I love that. She's not ashamed to say, hey, look, we'll take anyone's money. We're going to do great things with it, so come along, join us for the ride. Um, and, it, of course, she wasn't the only person that's doing great things uh, in the space. You also had a chat with Megan Owen, who has just rebranded Pledge Me to my crowd. Now, there's an interesting segue in this, in that, um, of course, Pledge Me was a New Zealand crowdfunding platform. It came across the ditch uh, in 2019 as a standalone entity as Pledge Me Australia. And it started to get some momentum. Then everything went quiet uh, during the pandemic. Uh, it's now bounced back. Uh, a new company has bought basically the IP to it and rebranded as MyCrowd. So Megan Owen joined us from MyCrowd to tell us about the business, the rebranding and their ambitions. Here's what she said about why. Uh, rebranded from, as you mentioned, Pledge Me uh, with a new focus and we've uh, just launched the website mycrowd.com.au. Uh, we're at the stage where we're um, finalising, um, I guess, those uh, amazing, uh, you know, the first kind of you know, amazing women-led companies to um, showcase their companies uh, to appeal to to investors and to connect with investors and to raise raise funds. Um, so we hope to do that over the forthcoming 
uh, week or two, um, but definitely encouraging and reaching out to the ecosystem at the moment to um, connect with uh, the amazing um, stellar companies around Australia that are led by women. Um, and um, conversely, uh, encouraging retail investors to visit mycrowd.com.au and to sign up so that they can receive notification of um, and visibility of these um, amazing companies. So look, there's another amazing um you know, firm that is going to focus in on these amazing female-led startups that we do have that, you know, as we've said, are often missed out when it comes to VC funding. Yeah. And, you know, the other fascinating thing I thought was that the PwC has done a collaboration report with the Crowdfunding Centre in the US, which uh, looked at two years of seed crowdfunding data from nine of the biggest crowdfunding platforms globally. And the really fascinating part about this is it shows that women-led companies experience 32% better crowdfunding success to raise capital compared to male-led companies. So for retail investors, there is definitely demand, there is a market there, and they are keen to back women running businesses. It's great to see that PwC, in conjunction with their crowdfunding research arm, um, showed, I think they researched about 900 um, crowdfunding funding campaigns and I think the, the number was 32% of uh, women-led companies um, were successful in raising campaigns which is which um, reinforces that equity crowdfunding is a is a, is an ideal channel for um, these companies to connect with investors um, and for investors to um, have the opportunity to believe in uh, you know, to, to invest in companies that they're attracted to and believe in. Do you think that it's because, you know, that with those stats from PwC, I'm sort of wondering when it comes to sort of crowdfunding, you are talking, telling a story, you are looking to engage with the founder and go on that journey with them. And do you think it's because maybe people can connect more with with women-led startups, particularly in equity? We talked about that in terms of retail investors. The emotional connection, the that, that empathy that investors bring is a really important part of that experience when it comes to investing this way. Yeah, they're, you know, they're still heading it, but it's okay to bring a little bit of heart into the process as well. Absolutely. It doesn't always have to be dollars and cents. I'm more likely to buy into a story because I don't know what money is. Well, it's, <laughs> that's because the sentence starts with the word crypto. It's like, you know, <laughs> that's where you go shut up and take my Dogecoin. Absolutely. Oh, look, Doge has been on a run, Simon. It's it's no longer a meme stock. Well, you know. As that, it gets to 19 That's cents. the interesting thing. It sort of absolutely blew up off the back of Musk joining the Twitter board. I know, I should hate it all, but here I am looking further into it. Now, we did stay uh, in Melbourne and I really liked this next startup because, Simon, when was the last time you had a roommate? Uh, well, you know, I still classify my wife as a roommate, but... Uh... <laughs> For legal purposes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, look, and I come from the vintage of John Birmingham's He Died With a Falafel in His Hand. I don't know if you've seen the movie starring Noah Taylor, but it was all about house sharing, dogs in space starring Michael Hutchins. It was kind of like that crazy era, especially back in the 80s and sort of early 70s when it was a little bit wild. Um, 
I still have my moments all the way back through to the noughties before I met Sal that, uh, yes, yeah, some of my housemates were less than optimal. So uh, Ludwina Dortovic uh, has formed the Room Exchange. It's a business she's had for a couple of years now, but she's just introduced ID verification for potential flatmates. So, you know, even, even if they are a serial killer or a psychopath, you will actually know their real name, which is probably a good thing. Uh, look, I definitely... I found roommates online before when I first moved to Sydney seven years ago now, Simon. And that, look, that Sydney experience is great. Some of my London ones were questionable. I've had roommates that st- stole my tips, ran at me with knives. I knew their names, but the verification process that she puts into it was definitely something that I would have appreciated back then. Yeah, it's a clever idea. So she explained to us why and what it is. What we want to do with technology is do as much as we can to make it easier for our users to make a decision. And so the verification is a process that whether you're a household or a housemate, you have to go through. And we've partnered with Digital ID by Australia Post. And essentially a pop-up window opens up when you get to verification, takes about 30 seconds, and then you're done. And so the information has to match what's on your profile. It has to equal what's on your ID so that you're proving that you are who you say you are. Um, you know, obviously there's a number of other things that we could do, but we also have to find that balance between, you know, creating friction for the user and also making users feel safe and comfortable. So it's a pretty good start. Yeah, I, Ludwina, where were you when I needed you? Um, now I live with my partner. I believe I know him pretty well. Uh, there's no sort of crazy other than I definitely do not do my fair share of household chores. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's on there me. you go. That will emerge if you uh, do end up looking to share a room in a house because, of course, the other thing that Room Exchange has done is got a profiling system so that you find people like-minded people. As she says, she wants housemates that feel like friends. So I asked her about how the profiling system works. We have a, um, a really interesting profiling system which... Uh, the questions that we're asking in it are not arduous and, and they're not invasive. And But what they do do is that they tell you a lot about the person's personality, values and lifestyle. Because what we want is we want people to feel like they're coming home to a friend, not to somebody who's really different to who they are. And within that, there's um, various different questions that give you an idea about you know, the, the, the kind of conversation someone would have, how flexible they would be, uh, whether they're very rigid in, you know, how they live, etc. So that helps you along. And then we have additional resources that help you with the interviewing process and questioning and, you know, creating home share agreements and things like that. So we have as many resources in there as we can to help make the process um, as easy as possible, but also help you to find the right housemate that feels like a friend. So, look, it's almost like, um, I don't know, Simon, if you've seen, you know how in America they've got the hype houses, which is like these influencers doing their TikTok videos all the time. And now in Sydney, Surrey Hills, we've got a few startup houses where people are collaborating and getting together and living together because they've got that interest. So it's, it's, it is sort of finding those people that makes a housemate feel like a friend. And then you actually want, you actually want to go and enjoy being at home. Yeah, absolutely. Have you got any friends from your time sharing houses with random people? Um, look, there's a couple that I still like communicate with on Instagram, but the best people I've lived with have always been friends first. Yeah. And I think I stayed with them for very limited times. So that's why we're friends after. Now, Elliot, you had a cracking conversation with Thank Yous Daniel Flynn last Friday. The social enterprise is getting into the issue of donor dysfunction. Absolutely. Now, like just listening to him talk. So 
if you don't know what donor dysfunction is and if you indeed don't know what thank you is, thank you has launched a video looking into donor dysfunction and it's because the traditional philanthropic systems can actually cause more harm than good. Um, you know, obviously a lot of people do give to charity. Everyone wants to do the right thing and there's no denying that people want to, but just because of the way that sometimes the money is shared, it can actually cause more problems um, than good. And he actually explained it in really simple terms. Here's what he said. The simplest way uh, that really lands it for me is this analogy uh, of a heart surgery. Let's say I had money um, and Elliot, you needed heart surgery and I said, I'll pay for it. Um, imagine if I gave the heart surgeon the money and then I told them how I wanted the heart surgery done. Uh, that's crazy. And that's not how we approach medicine, but often times it is how the philanthropic sector is operating. Yeah, so I suppose the old term for that is uh, who who pays the piper calls the tunes. And so, yeah, there is some misalignment somewhere along the way from what people want and need on the ground to what those who are supposedly coming to help uh, are doing instead. And, you know, as, as we did discuss during our conversation, everyone does want to do the right thing. It's just a case of things get in the way, personalities happen, all very human things. But there is a solution, luckily, um, and it's on sort of unrestricted funding. So thank you's doing it. As Daniel said, it's not a new idea. People have been doing it before, but it's time now for the whole industry to sort of get together and really push forward with it so that when people donate money, it goes directly into, you know, what they say it is going to. Well, and of course, one of those who's been absolutely outstanding on this is Mackenzie Scott, uh, the... Uh a powerful woman formerly known as Mrs Bezos, uh, who last year donated, I think, more than $3 billion Australian dollars in unrestricted funding to organisations around the world. You know, she is absolutely leading the path this way. And, of course, Daniel and the team at Thank You seem to have signed on. And, you know, have you heard uh, what Mackenzie Scott does? Apparently it's just her and one other person and they just ring up charities that they really like. Yeah, so I love it. It's small. It just does what they want to do. And very personalised. But, you know, I loved how Daniel went on to explain how all of this works. Unrestricted funding is when a donor, philanthropist, corporate business says, hey, we're going to give you the change maker, the charity, unrestricted funding. Where you put it is your decision. How you use it, that's up to you. Now, this isn't no accountability. It's accountability of ultimate result or impact, not activity of how the money is spent. Unrestricted funding, we are not the first to this table. There are many around the world there. But the truth is this problem is so big uh, and, and we need many, many more organisations. Well, there you go. Look out for the unrestricted funding section when you are next giving away money to charity. Yep, or me, if you want to, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, I'll sign that onto your GoFundMe account. <laughs> well, that is it. That's the week in startups on Startup Daily TV. Don't forget, you can watch the show live 2pm every weekday or on osbiz.com.au on Catch Up. Elliot, you have a fantastic weekend. Go Swans this weekend. Absolutely, go Swans. My rugby will be cancelled once again because this rain cannot make up its mind, Simon. I'm going to be indoors watching movies. Yeah, I think the kids were looking forward to their first game of the season and unlikely to happen. But anyway, enjoy the Netflix and chill. Elliot, don't forget to watch that startup series. Oh, I won't. I'll debrief you all next week. All right. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.